Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. How many of you can know, like, listen to podcasts? Are you podcast people? Nobody. Cool. Love it. Like, three of you. All right. Um, I am uh, an, a podcast overachiever, uh, which means that I am subscribed to way too many podcasts. It's the thing I do in my car. Uh, I, th- I think you can tell that I have a problem because I listen to most podcasts at 2.0 speed. You know, it's really, 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 really fast. Because I don't know if you've listened to podcasts recently, but people do this thing. Um, uh, and so like 2.0 speed just gets rid of all those gaps. So just uh, that's my little advice to you. But I was listening to this podcast this morning, actually. I changed my whole intro for this. Um, I was listening to this pod- podcast this morning. Uh, it's called the Russell Moore Podcast. I'm not in a big habit of listening to the Russell Moore Podcast. How many of you know who that is? When I say that name, like a couple of you do. Uh, at one point, Russell Moore was on a committee for uh, ethics and religious liberty for the Southern Baptist Convention, and he left the Southern Baptists a number of years ago, and he's now the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. Well, so I listened to this podcast. It kind of caught my eye. You know, you scroll on Facebook, and some things catch your eye. Well, this thing caught my eye, and it didn't catch my eye because of Russell Moore. As much as I appreciate some of the things that I've, that I've heard him say, it caught my eye because his guest was none other than Dwight Schrute, from the office. Some of you are like, who's that? I'm sorry. We'll pray for you later. Um, <laughs> Rain Wilson is the guy's name. Some of you will know that name. Um, and he was the, the guest. And he, he, Rain Wilson wrote a book. And what was funny to me about listening to this podcast was how far apart Russell uh, Moore and Rain Wilson were on their beliefs. Russell Moore obviously is a Christian. Rain Wilson says he subscribes to Baha'i faith, which if you don't know anything about that, is sort of like, we just sort of believe they all kind of come together, and we sort of like, we just kind of mash it all together, and, and that's what we do. So it was fascinating to me because some of the things that Rain Wilson said were like so far, like, I was like, ah, I don't know if I could sit across from you and have this conversation and not feel some need to go, hey, I don't think that's right. But Russell Moore asked all these questions. Well, one of the things that they were really, really close on really close on it, which I was, it just really struck me, was this idea of suffering. So Rain Wilson started talking about suffering, and one of the things that he said is, as a culture, we've, like, distanced ourselves from suffering, right? Have you seen this? Like, as a culture, we try to avoid it at all costs, not that there's anything wrong with avoiding suffering, but we avoid it, and we try to keep it away from the people that we love, And so the way we parent is we don't want our kids to experience any suffering at all. And we don't really talk about suffering, and we don't don't build it into the way that we teach kids to grow up. And what he said was, in doing so, we've sterilized our kids from an inability to deal with hardship. That we've taken, like, these kids and we've raised them to never experience hardship and be able to handle it. And so we've got a, a whole generation of people who have not learned how to experience and deal with suffering. Now, what you and I both know is that suffering and hardship is a universal experience, right? Like at some level, we don't all experience the same amount 
of suffering or the same amount of hardship, but we've all experienced some of it, and some at greater degrees and some at lesser degrees, but every one of us, and the thing about it is that, that like suffering is not unique. It's not like, well, you're not a Christian, so you suffer and Christians don't. And it's not like you're a Christian, so you suffer and non-Christians don't. It's universal. It goes beyond uh, your faith. Like suffering is a universal experience. And what we've done is we've insulated our kids from all suffering and taken away any ability to deal with something that's universally an experienced thing in humanity. And so what I want to talk about today is how do we face hardship? How do we face suffering? And does Jesus offer anything to hardship and suffering and how we experience that? We began this series. Jerry did a great job last week, didn't she? Did you do a pretty good job last week? I was sitting up in the balcony, for those of you who didn't know, I was here. Um, but Jerry started us off on this Strangers in a Foreign Land uh, in First Peter. And last week what Jerry told us was that Peter's writing to these Christians who have experienced hardship. They've been deported. They've been sent uh, far off in the Roman Empire, and he's trying to encourage them. How do we deal with suffering? How do you deal with hardship? And what Jerry said last week is that Peter writes to them and says, you are chosen people. And so what I want to talk about this week is I want to build on that uh, as we look further into 1 Peter. And one of the things that she mentioned, and I just will offer this to you by way of like a spiritual practice, um, every summer, if you figure, you guys will figure out my... my um, method to my madness. Every summer, we preach through a book of the Bible. Have you noticed that? Like, we just pick a book of the Bible and we go through it. And what we offer you is this practice of, I would encourage you to read through 1 Peter once a week, all the way through the summer, as we go through this series. What I, I promise you, you will discover as you do that, read through it in one sitting, is you will discover things about the book of 1 Peter that you didn't see the first time. The fifth time you read it, you will discover other things. The sixth time you read it. And it's a good habit to read letters, which is what 1 Peter is, in their entirety in one sitting. You know, much like you would if I sent you a letter. Maybe I'll send you a letter and see if you just read little snippets of it, right? Like how we normally read the Bible. We just like, it's a fortune cookie. Pop it out, right? One verse, one line. So I just want to offer that to you as we're doing this series to read through 1 Peter one time a week. And do it in one sitting. It'll take you, literally, it'll take you like 10 minutes. And you waste more than that on Facebook, don't you? So just, just take one of those sittings and, and read through the book of 1 Peter. But what I want to talk about today is, does Jesus offer us a way through hardship? Does Jesus offer us a way through suffering? And so I'm calling today's message, How Do I Face Hardship? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at Scripture, okay? Would you pray with me? So, Lord Jesus, I do just welcome you into this space. And I'm really aware, Lord, that you, uh, that you do offer us something when it comes to hardship and suffering, but so often in our pain it gets hard to see. And so, God, I pray today that you would bring healing to the pain that we feel, healing to the ways that we uh, put up walls to you. And I pray, God, that you would meet us and that you would offer us something. Holy Spirit, would you put power on this message? Fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at 1 Peter again every week. I'm going to say the same thing. 1 Peter. 
And we're going to look at beginning uh, in verse 3. And one of the big question marks, Jerry sort of like laid a little bit of this out last week, but one of the big question marks in 1 Peter is we don't really know who these people are that Peter writes this letter to. We don't really know much about them. We know they've undergone persecution. We know that they're Christians and they're in some place that's not native to them. We know that they're sort of scattered on the edges of the Roman Empire, but we don't really know much about them. But uh, Karen Jobes in her book on 1 Peter puts forward this probably the most compelling story or idea or theory about who these people are. And what she said is these people were, were Christians who came to know Jesus in Rome. And so they knew Peter, and then the Roman Empire deported them across the Roman Empire to far-off lands. And the way that the Romans would do it is they would take uh, people who were they considered troublemakers from the town, and they would uh, colonize other parts of the Roman Empire with, with people that they had deported. And so she puts forward this idea that likely these were people who were deported out of Rome after they came to know Jesus. And so Peter sees this, these people who are in a place that's not home. They've been cut off from their Christian support structure. And, and he writes this letter about, okay, here's how you live life in a place that doesn't support what you say you believe. This is how you live life here. And so that the entire letter is really about how you live life as a follower of Jesus in a place that doesn't support it, which sounds a lot like where we live. Am I right? So look with me again. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3, and here's what we read. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief, and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. There's an interesting thing that is not immediately obvious when we read this. This, this letter was originally written in Greek, and in Greek, the verses I just read to you is one long sentence. It's two paragraphs in my Bible. I don't know how it's broken down in yours. But it's two paragraphs. But this is one long sentence with a basic statement. 
and then a whole bunch of clauses that are like added to it. So the basic statement is right off the bat, and it's verse 3, beginning of verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the basic sentence. And then Peter adds all of these clauses at the end that, that end up as different sentences in our Bible. Now, you might think this is an odd way to write to someone who has just been deported and cut off from their entire support structure. Don't you think? Like, if, if you and I were writing this letter, like, if, okay, look, I'm hanging out, you all got deported, all right? We'll just pretend, just for a second. If I'm writing a letter to you, what I'm probably going to start out with is, man, that was terrible. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I can't believe what they did, and if I can help in any way, please, don't hesitate to ask. Isn't that how you would start a letter? Somebody had something really tragic happen. That's how you would start a letter. But that's not what Peter does. He says, praise be to God. It's an odd way to start a letter to people who have gone through hardship. It's an odd way to start a letter to people who have been cut off and have lost all of their inheritance, you know, likely grew up in Rome. They had houses. They had families. They had lives. Shouldn't you offer some condolences? Shouldn't there be some sort of, like, I feel bad for you? That's not what Peter does. He says, praise be to God. And then he continues. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And the inheritance, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, Peter doesn't start out by saying, hey, I feel so bad for you. Peter starts out like a good pastor and he says, let me remind you in this time of trial who you are. Let me remind you of who God has made you to be. And that's where he starts. He says, even though you've experienced hardship and mistreatment, what is ultimately true about you is you are chosen by God to be recipients of God's mercy. And the inheritance that you lost in Rome that was taken from you, there's a greater inheritance that Jesus offers you that can never be touched. This is who you are. Let me remind you who you are. Your hope is not in the things that were taken from you. Your hope was not in the support structure that you had. Your hope is in a king who was resurrected who will come again. I don't know about you, but when I experience hardship in my life, I fixate on what's wrong. Don't you do that? Or am I the only one? You guys do that? Something goes wrong in your life. Something goes in a way you didn't want. You experience some sort of suffering. And the way it works in my mind is something happens and then my brain starts to spin. Anybody else like this? And I can tell I'm anxious because my brain just keeps playing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, right? My brain becomes like a hamster wheel. Anybody else like that? So as soon as something goes wrong, I start thinking about what's wrong. And if you're like me, what you do is you believe this lie that I can worry my way to peace. Don't we believe that? We're like, if I can just think about this enough, if I can just get this right in my head, if I can replay the conversation enough times, if I can replay how it worked out, maybe eventually I'll get to a place where I feel peace. 
And we believe the lie that we can worry our way to peace. You know, someone's upset with me. And that, that never happens to me, actually. Uh, nobody's ever upset with me. And some of you are like, yeah, right. I'm one of those people who's currently upset with you. Um, but like, someone's upset with me. And so I go home and I play through all the conversations. You know, if you've, you and I have ever had a disagreement, we've had like 35 conversations before I ever actually talk to you. Have you done that before? Like you've played out all the worst case scenario, all the things that are wrong, and we play out the conversation. Or maybe I did something stupid. Not that that would ever happen. But if I had done something stupid, I go home and I play through all of the possible things, and I keep playing, and I keep playing through, and I keep playing through, and I'm like, man, I eventually I'll, I'll feel better about the mistakes that I've made, Right? And this is what happens. You know, it could be any number of things. It could be your marriage is falling apart. It could be you have a kid that's going off the rails. It could be, you know, you lost your job or you had a fight with somebody that you were close to. You made a mistake at work. Your friendship is broken. There's any number of things that could happen that create difficulty and hardship in your life. And what we tend to do is we fixate on what's wrong. We can't get past the thought. We fixate on what's wrong. But what Peter says, the way to deal with hardship, difficulty, and suffering is not to fixate on the problem, not to think about the problem primarily, but to remember who you are. Isn't that the problem with most of the time? We sort of we forget who we are and we get sucked into this little problem that we're dealing with. And we forget that there's actually a vision for our lives that goes beyond the circumstances that we're currently experiencing. In any case, regardless of your faith background, regardless of what you believe, the way forward through hardship and suffering is to have some level of expectation or hope beyond the circumstances. Regardless of what you believe, you don't even have to be a Christian. But in order to navigate your way through suffering, and in order to navigate your way through hardship, you have to have some level of hope that there's something different for you outside of the circumstances that we're experiencing. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, who have received mercy, the mercy of God, who God has invited you into relationship with him, the hope that you have is that you belong to the family of God. That there is an inheritance for you that goes far beyond anything that you've lost or anything that's been broken. That there is a day that is coming. The scripture tells us there's a day that is coming. There will be no more pain, no more sadness, no more fear, no more anguish, no more brokenness, no more tears. And maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not a follower of Jesus. You know, I don't really even know what I think about all this stuff. I'm not sure that I believe this. Can I just suggest to you that it's no accident that you're here? It's no accident. God has placed you here in this space to hear this. That whatever you're experiencing, all these things that I described that are benefits of people who are followers of Jesus, if you are hearing these words, God has placed you in this space to offer that to you. You are here because God placed you here to hear this, that it's not an accident. And I'll show you that here in a minute. There's an invitation to you today to receive this. Here's what I know. 
it doesn't matter what you believe about God or Jesus or any of the, any of the faith topics. It doesn't matter what you believe. All of us are going to experience hardship, right? All of us have experienced hardship. All of us know suffering. All of us know that suffering has come and will come. You know, you can lose your health whether or not you are a follower of Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know your body is breaking down regardless of whether you follow Jesus or not? Do you know you can have trouble in your marriage whether or not you're a follower of Jesus? Do you know that you can have issues with your neighbors whether or not you are a follower of Jesus? You can have brokenness with brothers and sisters and with friends and co-workers whether or not you follow Jesus. So there's nothing magic about following Jesus that exempts you from this. What makes a difference anytime you uh, face difficulty or hardship is really whether or not it has a purpose, right? Like you can deal with hardship if you know that it's for a purpose. Look at verse 6 with me. Peter says this, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, Peter defines the difficulties these uh, Christians are experiencing in greater terms. He says, this is who you actually are, and there is a hope for you that goes beyond the circumstances that you feel right now. He defines it that way. And in making this connection, what he says is, because you have this faith, the trials that you experience now are actually opportunities for you to demonstrate the genuineness of your faith. You see that? There's something about giving purpose to suffering that makes it tolerable. Am I right? Have you, have you realized, like, there's nothing to me more hopeless feeling than suffering for seemingly no good reason, right? In fact, that's one of the things that people who don't follow Jesus, who are outside of the community of faith, would say, this is a problem. What do you do with suffering? This doesn't seem to make sense. Let me give you a little bit of an illustration. When I was a freshman in high school, I played football, and I was on the wrestling team. These were not great achievements. They needed bodies, and I was a warm body. Um, but what it meant to be on the wrestling team and the football team is that I felt like, <laughs> no shame to anybody who did this and loved it, um, I felt like I wasted my summer in the gym. So... Every day, the expectation was that you showed up at the gym at the high school, and you lifted weights and all this, and it was just suffering seemingly for no good reason. I mean, now, I, I, it's clear that my body has taken all of that and stored it up, right? It's very obvious that I worked out when I was going, a freshman in high school. Um, but it seemed terrible. Like, I hated every second of it. But every once in a while, a coach would come in and go, let me tell you why the suffering you're going through right now in the gym is going to pay off in our goal as a team. And when you make that connection, all of a sudden it was like, all right, that bench press that really, really hurt is going to like help me push back some linemen, right? And it created purpose for my suffering. Now, this is a very, very, very small and pales in comparison to, to the suffering that so many in this room are going through. But the point that I want to make is it's easier to go through suffering when there's purpose behind it, right? 
It's easier to suffer when you know there's a purpose. One of the major challenges that people offer to the Christian faith is around suffering. Like if God is all-powerful and God is loving, then why do people suffer? And that's a really good question, isn't it? On the one hand, God is all-powerful and God is loving, and so he should do something about suffering. And so it's a really good question to ask. The implication by those who ask this question is, Either God is not all-powerful, like he can't do anything about my suffering, or he's not loving. He actually likes it when people suffer. That's the implication of the question. There's two problems with this question, and maybe you've asked this question. The first problem is that you you don't get any meaning or purpose behind your suffering by rejecting God. Right? If you decide that God doesn't exist or is not worthy of my allegiance because of suffering... That doesn't solve the problem that you suffer. Do you see that? It makes no difference. You're still going to suffer. It's just now more meaningless and more purposeless. It does nothing to make it more tolerable. But the second problem here is it assumes that God's not doing anything about it. Do you see that? If we say that, that suffering discounts who God is, what we're saying is God's clearly not doing anything about it. But that's not what Scripture says. You see, Scripture says that God saw the suffering of his people. God saw the suffering and the injustice and what was wrong in the world. And he said, I'm not satisfied to just let that be. And so God became a man as Jesus. And as a man, he experienced injustice. He experienced life as a refugee. He experienced wrong judgment and false accusation. He experienced hunger. He experienced poverty. He experienced betrayal. He experienced what it was like to be abandoned. And then he experienced suffering and death. And what that means is that there's a God who understands you when you suffer. That God himself entered into suffering and he understands Suffering, he knows it firsthand when you cry out to God about how you're suffering and how you're feeling. It's not like he's like, well, suck it up, buttercup. It's like, I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. We have a God who knows what it's like to suffer. But he didn't just experience it. He set about doing something about it. Scripture says that in his death, he he conquered death. That he conquered all that was wrong and he set about in his resurrection putting all things back to right. That he began a project of putting things back in order, of restoring things that were broken, of putting back right injustice. And he called people to follow him and he put them on this project of making things new again. And what scripture says is that he promises to come back and when he comes back, the project will be complete that suffering will be no more, that injustice will be no more. That in the meantime, any suffering that we experience, and we're going to talk about this as we get further into 1 Peter, suffering that we experience as we follow Jesus has this restorative quality that when he calls us into places where we suffer, it's for redemption, it's for restoration, it's for putting things back to right. And it's within this story that suffering and hardship can find purpose. This is the point. That it becomes tolerable because there's purpose. 
So when we face hardship, when we face suffering, we begin by connecting to what God ultimately says about us, who God says we are. And in that, we find our purpose. We find meaning in our suffering. And what we discover is that we're the beloved of God. We're his chosen people. We're called into this world to set things back to right, to participate with Jesus in putting everything that's broken back to right. We can trust the promises that he makes because Jesus was raised from the dead, that it's all based on a king who was dead and is now alive. And in connecting what is ultimately true to us, we discover meaning, purpose, direction. But we have to hold these things in tension. We have to hold on to what is ultimately true about us. And we have to hold on to the purpose that that story gives us because there's two pitfalls we can fall into. And I imagine you've seen people that have fallen into these pitfalls. The first one is this. On the one hand... We can decide there is no meaning, there is no purpose, and we just become cynical about suffering. Have you found people who just walk around in their everyday lives and they're cynical about everything? And it's just a protection. It's an internal protection because there's meaninglessness in the suffering that they've experienced. And they see no purpose. They don't know, they're not connected to their ultimate, uh, the ultimate reality about themselves. There's meaninglessness, and they become cynical these people become bitter. The other pitfall we can fall into, and you've seen people like this, we just deny all the things that are hurting us. Have you seen these people? No, 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 I'm not in suffering. God is good. I'm not. But if we hold these things in tension, we can say this is awful, but God is good. This is terrible what's happening to me, and yet I can praise God. We have to hold these things in tension. It's the only thing that gives us the ability to do what Peter says. Look at verse 3. He starts, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 6 he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And then in verse 8 he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious Joy. What causes suffering people to praise God? What gives us the ability to praise God even though things are awful? Even though we're experiencing suffering? What causes people to praise God? It's because they ultimately know who they are, who God has called them to be. That there is a hope beyond the circumstances that we experience. And it's because they found meaning and purpose in the suffering. You have to hold those two things together so that you can be a person who worships in the midst of suffering. Friends, worship, adoration, and gratitude are the language of a people who have been chosen by God. It should be our native language. That worship comes naturally to us. Two years ago, Two years ago, I went for a colonoscopy and found that, they had can- that I had cancer in my colon. And it wrecked my world for a minute. But what I found to be true in the midst of that was that I could still praise God because I knew that there was something beyond 
the circumstances that I experienced. And even if I wouldn't survive that, even if God said that I'm not going to survive that, I know that there's a hope. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the, the, all of this stuff that was going on in my head and in my heart, I said, whatever days I have left, Jesus, I'm going to give to you. And there's no magic, and I put a bracelet on my, I've never wore a bracelet before, but to remind me that I'm living every day to do what God says, that so many people could come into the same hope that I've experienced. And I've lived every day since then. Praise God that, that it was t- they took it out, and I've been, ever since, been well. But I made a decision that day that no matter what comes to me, there is meaning, there is purpose, and I'm going to live the rest of my life with purpose. I want to finish today this way. Look with me again at verse 10. Verse 10 says, concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. What Peter's saying in this passage, this little bit of scripture, we'll bring this all the way back to the beginning. Peter's saying that God spoke to the prophets hundreds of years before Jesus and said, there will come a day when a king will come to rescue all humanity. And this king will die on behalf of his people. But he'll be raised to new life. And Peter says that that God spoke this hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. And what he says is the prophets wanted to know, when is this going to happen? They longed to see it happen. But what it says is that, that God said to them, this is not for you. This is for someone in the future. And then at the very end, Peter says, and the angels long to see this. They wanted to see, they want to peer into the reality that is a king who died on behalf of his people. And Peter says, but the angels weren't the recipients either. He says, you are the recipients. Everyone who hears this word is the recipient. You are a privileged and a chosen people that God has moved heaven and earth to put you in a place to be recipients of the good news of Jesus. And so when I said at the beginning that you are not here by accident, what I want you to know is that God has moved heaven and earth so that you could hear today and be in this space today to hear that God loves you and that he wants to invite you into the family, that he wants to give you a hope and a purpose for your future, that he wants to give you an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. And if you don't have that, what he says is if you hear it, you can respond. And that's my invitation today. My invitation to you is if you do not know that you know 
that you have an inheritance in Jesus, I want to invite you to respond to that. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.